you reach that age, 24, 25, 26, especially in small town America, it's all about when you're going to have kids, when you're going to get married, we want grandbabies, that whole style. And at this point, my brother, straight male, had, had not either. So we, I started to feel the pressure a little bit of the questions. And my mom kind of made a comment. I feel like this was her way of asking without asking. She were kind of in the backyard working. And she said something about when are you going to date, you know, some woman or something like that. And I was like, I'm not really, I'm not really ready for that. And she was like, well, if you keep on, it's going to be nobody single, but man. So to me, it was like the prime time to go, bam. Well, that would make me real happy. stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll Listen with Shannon Chapman. June is Pride Month. And I have to confess that I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community. There's a lot that I don't know and don't understand. So I'm sure that there are many more people out there that are the same way. I'm a Christian and some Christians may have an issue with me doing an interview like this. However, I seek to learn and understand. I believe that we were all made in the image of God and as a Christian, God called me to love, and I love me some Drew. Andrew, thanks for agreeing to speak on a topic that's so personal and potentially controversial. I've known Andrew for several years now, but we have never had a conversation like this before. So what was it like being Andrew growing up? I would say I consider myself pretty basic. Um, small town America, any stereotype you can think of that. Small school, small town, raised by a parent who was raised on a farm. Very small father from Memphis, Tennessee. Didn't like the city life, fled to the country. Um, I think that I was probably raised by the most basic people in the world, and I consider myself to be fairly basic. I think my, at times my personality may be a little over the top, but overall the things I value are basic things in life, basic food basic friends, basic necessities. Those are the things I think that make me happy. And that has been the same since I've been growing up and and still is now. I did want to get away from small town life um, after several years of doing that, just because I think you get one view of the world and you want to see what the rest of the world is like. And I think transitioning um, to a large metro city was definitely an eye opener for me, just seeing different cultures, different people. So I have evolved, I think, as I've become more cultured, but I still have those small town roots in me for sure. You're a country boy. <laughs> how did you know that you were gay and like mentally, how were you affected by that? So I think that's the million dollar question, right? How do you know? I think you have to, for me, I can only speak. And I think as we talk about LGBTQ um, plus, I, I can only bring one perspective to that large alphabet, right? And that would be that, you know, the G there and my perspective in that letter looks very different from others. But for me, I think that one has to reach an age of attraction. I do think at a young age, you are gay, but I don't think a four-year-old running around really knows the world of attraction, in my opinion. Yes, they see things on TV or everyone's like, don't kiss the girl, don't kiss the boy type of thing. But I don't know that they've reached the age to really think about and develop enough. I think that comes in puberty. 
and um, adolescence. And so you definitely, I would say you definitely had feelings and, and knew that you were not the average of your friends in terms of fitting in and attraction and things of that sort. So you definitely know it, but that would be in the nineties for me. So I, I'm not sure that pop culture had a lot out there to kind of feel what you were feeling. So you just kind of knew that you were different and you knew that there may be an attraction here and there, but you didn't really know how to swallow that pill or deal with that pill. Um, as you got older, I think you become more cultured and you understand it. Being in the nineties, probably the world was still changing. It's nothing like kids we see today. I mean, kids today in middle school, and high school are very out and proud and it's so awesome. And I think that they're accepted by their peers for the most part. Um, I'm still seeing bullying here and there, but for the most part, acceptance, but it was a different world back then. So I think you became a little sheltered trying to figure out um, where you were and what you are. I think to tell someone that you want to make sure you're for sure about it. Right. So it's just kind of a world of figuring that out and knowing that I think mentally did it affect me? That's a strong question. I would say it did because um, of course the middle school years, I think for anyone are probably the roughest. I don't think anyone signs up to go back to middle school. But that's definitely where you get all the, you know, bullying and things of that sort and the negative comments or the classic thing was everyone's cool with you and then you make them angry and then all of a sudden they throw mud and that's the first comment they come with. Similar to racism and things of other sorts of when I get mad enough, that's one thing that I know that's going to hurt you. So I'm going to go for that. So I think that mentally I was definitely affected there, mentally worried about impressing parents, impressing others and things of that sort does take a wear and tear on the mental psyche. However, you reach a point of maturity in time where you just, you worry about yourself. So I think overall it did have an effect, but I don't think it has an effect today. Have you ever dated a woman? <laughs> um, I, I, I have, I've tried. I think that's a better term. Maybe tried. I think everyone at least tries, right? If, because society or status quo says, and, and at least in the nineties, this is where you should be. Um, so you want to fit into the norm. The average middle school, high school kid wants to be an average kid and fit into the norm. There are kids out here that definitely want to be the oddball outside of the box. I wouldn't say describing myself as basic. That was me. I just wanted to be a middle of the road type of guy. So I think I tried that. It didn't feel right. Right. That's a, a normal thing. I think as I transitioned into high school and college and continued to try that, then it becomes a sense of self guilt because now you're lying. Right. And so as a person who doesn't really feed online too well, but does that. It's like people do what they do. For me, in my experience, it's like, why would I waste a year or a two with someone setting them up for failure, right? It's like someone pretending they want to get married when they have no desire to be married or someone who wants to be divorced or is having a whole nother extramarital affair and wants to be with someone else, but is holding it together for the sake of this. Like it's just living, living a lie. And um, I think for me, there's so many other mental things that come with that. I can't say that comes for everyone. So people could live that life and do live that life for years and years. But for me, that was more of weighing on my heart that I would rather just not date at all. If that's the only choice I have per se to keep up with status quo, then, then kind of linger people in and live a lie. What made you decide to tell your family and your friends that you were gay and what was their reaction to that news? <sighs> So I have this theory. I can't prove it. It's not scientifically, but in speaking to other people, you know, who identify as me, we have this theory that mamas always know. I think mothers have a connection with their children, especially uh, even adoptive parents. But 
especially, you know, they just know that they spend a lot of time with their kids. They know their kids in and out. And not to say fathers don't know. I think fathers can know, but it's just a certain connection, especially for me with a gay male and a mother. It's just two peas in a pod. They just kind of go together. And even though mothers may act shocked, I think the majority of mothers of gay males would probably say I knew deep down inside whether um, I wanted to admit it or not would be questionable. And I'm not a huge fan of the, like the coming out term, but in terms of like, let me sit down and I'm coming home this weekend and I've got this big secret I need to tell you, making this big gigantic issue out of it. Uh, for me, it was kind of, you reach that age, 24, 25, 26, especially in small town America, it's all about when you're going to have kids, when you're going to get married, we want grandbabies, that whole style. And at this point, my brother, straight male, had, had not either. So we, I started to feel the pressure a little bit of the questions and my mom kind of made a comment. I feel like this was her way of asking without asking. She were kind of in the backyard working and she said something about when are you going to date, you know, some woman or something like that. And I was like, I'm not really, I'm not really ready for that. And she was like, well, if you keep on, it's going to be nobody single, but man. So to me, it was like the prime time to go, bam, well, that would make me real happy. <laughs> so it's like literally off the cuff fly. And to me, that was the best place to have it. Like I said, I'm a pretty natural go with the flow type of dude. So I don't like these grand entrances of things. Um, I just want to kind of be a middle of the road type of guy. It went over pretty well at first. I think the state of shock for the mother. It didn't go so well a few few days later. I'm not angered towards me. I think for my family and not necessarily my friends, but my family, it's a protective mode, right? I think it's a little different now. Here we are in 2021, but this would have been probably 2009-ish, I think. They're, they're in protective mode. They, they've lived through the HIV crisis. They've lived through, you know, seen bullying. They've seen Stonewall. They've seen all these historical pieces and negativity and abuse and you know, Matthew Shepard and all these things. So any parent I think may come off as being negative, but it may be hidden inside of protection because no parent um, or most parents, I don't want to say no parent, but most parents don't want to see their child hurt or don't want to see others hurt their children. And so opening up that door tends to think, oh, wow, what, what, what's going to happen to my child? Or I like to behave in a calm type of way, but if someone steps to my child or does my child wrong, what's going to be my reaction to that? And they, that tends to go into protective mode of let's just keep this quiet. Let's just keep this quiet. Or we approve of what you do, but let's keep it quiet and not let everyone else know. And I think eventually as time goes on and you just kind of, for me, you just have to prove, hey, I'm fine. I think it was a big shift for my parents to understand moving from small town America to Metro city. They were so used to as in small town America, like your name is everything. Your last name is everything. Your image is everything. As soon as something is taboo, right? It's spread around town within five minutes of who's cheating, who, and who's pregnant and the whole nine. But for me, it's like when I move to the city and I can go to Walmart and Target and not see 200 people that I know walking down the aisle, I slowly began to care less and less of what people felt about me. So I think that was a big shift for my parents being still in small town America in a different culture of, well, so-and-so said, I don't care. I really don't care what they said <laughs> about me. Doesn't bother me at all. Used to would have bothered me. So they had to get used to that cultural shift for me. And through that, I think ultimately, you know, they're, they're respectful of where I am and where I stand. And, and it's still a growing pain in certain times, I would think. But I think overall, they, re they respect me and they understand me. In terms of friendship, do you also want to talk about friendship a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Yeah. You know, my friends, I, I have a hard time. I'm such a, 
And maybe this is different for me because I'm just a bubbly personality who gets along with the world. I think I've been into an argument with probably two people in my life and they're probably exes, but I get along with everyone. So I was never worried about the friendship because I, I value friendship so much and I'm such a right hand man. And, and all of my friends are too. My best ride or dies quote unquote are still from high school. And you know, if they needed $5,000 a day, I wouldn't ask why it would just be in their pocket. Um, so I was never worried about any of that and transitioning into new friends into Atlanta. I met someone very early who's my best Atlanta friend now. So I just very much value friendship and keep close to people. And so I never really worried about that. And as I met new people, it was either, Hey, you're in or you're out. Like, I mean, I've got, I've got what I need to, or what I value in friendship. So if you want to be added to the plate, come on. If you disapprove of that, have a nice day. It's a pleasure to meet you. So. It's kind of where I stand. Right. And that probably comes with some maturity too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely know about that small town life. <laughs> when you started living your truth, did that change anything in your life, whether good or bad? So I, I think it's twofold. I, I definitely think when you say it, there's a weight off your chest, but I think you have to define coming out and why people come out. It's a little tricky, right? Because everyone, I think, as a person who does not identify that you would come out to, is sometimes concerned with their feelings, right? Like, I heard a lot of, why didn't you tell me first? Or why did you wait three years to tell me type of thing? And I think people have to realize it's not their story to be told, which is kind of a hard pill to swallow. I actually read a quote recently for Pride Month that said, we don't come out for heterosexual people to know. We don't come out for ones who hate us to know. We shout and make as much noise as possible just so other people like us who are scared and can't be themselves would know that they are not a mistake and they are not alone. And I think that's the essence of June and Pride Month is the idea of coming out and and being proud of who you are. For me, I had to learn so much history of the gay community um, or LGBTQ plus community that I had no idea of. Right. It's not something that we see taught in history a lot, maybe in 2021 more. But I can't remember in, ever in history books in high school reading about it, even though there's some large movements out there, Stonewall being probably the largest significant piece, even though it's probably not the beginning of the movement, but it being a large piece of the movement and kind of sparked this idea of coming out and being loud and proud, you know, which was followed by pride celebrations and all these things. But I think the essence of the idea of pride and coming out is just feeling a certain way and a weight's been lifted off your chest. There's going to be good and bad with that in terms of, okay, now you know, but now what, right? Or, okay, now I've told them, but what's going to be their reaction? And I think that's on a case-by-case basis. Or some people say things like, oh, you know, I approve or I'm cool, just not down with the marriage thing. Or, which is funny to me because my response is like, if you're not down with gay marriage, if a gay person asks you to marry them, just say no. (laughs) It's kind of the... um, idea behind that. But there's a lot that's loaded in between that question of was it good and bad. Um, For me, I would say it was probably overwhelmingly positive. I think for my friends and my family, there was some reserve around the workplace. There's currently still a lot of states, even though we have federal laws, there's a lot of states that technically can still fire you based on sexual orientation and gender and things of that sort. Um, so, and it's one of those things that people are saying, oh, not in 2021, but law is funny because when law is still on the books, it can happen. I had a, actually a good friend who was working at a local bank who, believe it or not, was offsite. He, he hadn't come out at his workplace. He was very quiet, but 
he was at his workplace and was sent offsite to do work. And apparently a, a gentleman said something negative about his sexuality to another female there or alleged sexuality of what they thought. And they got into an argument at the workplace. Now, mind you, he wasn't even there. So he was called into HR and he said, hey, I don't I don't know anything about this. You know, I wasn't there. And they're like, but they were talking about you. So the easiest thing for them to do was basically since they were in a 90 day clause hiring was to let all them go. And when he tried to go out for legal protection behind that, it was pretty much told in the state of Georgia right now, based on sexual orientation, they could not defend him because of current laws about six or seven years ago. So it's easy to say, hey, come out, be proud and things of that sort. But when you're in careers and things of that sort, some people are very nervous um, of what could happen with that. Now he's bounced back and he's amazing and he's awesome now. But there's good and bad always with, and I, that may go for any big decision, right? Like if I'm getting a divorce and I choose to say that publicly on social media, what's going to be the good and bad around that? Any large announcement comes with good and bad. So I think you just have to take every situation one-on-one as it is. And that's what I did. And I'm fine. <laughs> have you ever faced any discrimination? Oh, good follow-up. I, I would say I would. It's, it's always when people get angry. Like I can remember when I was back home with my friends for New Year's Eve or something. And we were in this section at a, I think it was a casino or something. There was some concert going on. And um, we were in this section and some people were coming into the section they weren't supposed to or something. And one of the friends went to tell I guess bouncer, whatever the term you use, that they weren't supposed to be there. And then immediately turned around and attacked me with all the derogatory terms, right? Because that's the easiest thing to point out. As soon as I get angry, that's when I go there or, or drop the faggots or whatever the terms people come up with. It's a, it seems to be discrimination always generally comes out in anger um, of when they need to get back at you. That's the first bomb they'll drop. And so for me, it's about how are you going to react to that? Like, all right, that, that's cute for you. Like, you got anything else you can come with is kind of my reaction. And everyone may not react like me. And I think that's their prerogative to act differently. But I, I mean, there's been other definitely like, I'd say more bullying type of things. Some discriminatory, maybe. But it's also, you, you know, you never really, there's so many labels, like gay is one label for me, right? And then I'm also male, and then I'm also Caucasian, and then I'm also these other things. So when people are coming with discrimination, and people that live that type of lifestyle where they have very negative minds or would be discriminatory, you have to kind of peel back the layers of what's your big issue here? Like, is there, are you throwing this mud at me because it's the first thing you can see? Or is there deeper layers with that? So I personally try not to let it uh, bother me. I'm a kill it with kindness type of dude. I, I try to rise above as much as necessary. Now, I will get you together if you need to. But I'm one of those people that's probably better behind a keyboard <laughs> than I am in person. But I'll yelp you to death. But <laughs> I mean, at the same time, I feel like that it's an opportunity to educate. And sometimes people don't know what they don't know. I think if I was as a white male raised deep in Montana somewhere, living in Atlanta, which has a large African-American culture, how would I have ever, you know, in Montana, besides TV, had any recollection of that? And I think a lot of people, maybe in small town Americas or in different parts of the country, the, the only thing they know about LGBTQI is what they see on TV or plus. So it's one of those things where sometimes they don't know, but if we, we kill them with kindness and we educate them and we let them know how it offends us, I think is a better stamp for me in getting over that versus just lashing back out and, and meeting them at the level in which they brought it in terms of discrimination. Finish this phrase about your experience as a gay American country boy. It breaks my heart when 
that's a rough one. Breaks my heart when I think it's probably twofold. I'll answer it twice. And this probably goes for any culture. You're not, not unique to me. It breaks my heart when people want to be of a part of a culture that will benefit them. And then as soon as they are done with that, they back out and don't support the culture. So I'll give you a prime example. I've heard stuff like, oh, I want a gay male to decorate my house and do my hair. But then as soon as my hair is fabulous or my house is fabulous, I would not support any of their work or what they're doing outside of what I needed out of them. And I think that goes for any culture, right? Like I want to I want to listen to the type of music that a certain culture puts out, but then I don't want to appreciate the cultural things they go through and what has gone through and support them on their cultural journey or as we evolve as a society. So I don't think that's probably unique to gayness, but I think that would break my heart. I think the second thing that would probably break my heart on the coming out issue, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of that term. And for people, that's just my perspective of, I just want to be as natural as possible. And when you walk in, I'm not, I don't want to give you this, Hey, my name's Andrew. Did you know I'm gay? Like, I just want to say, like, if I say my boyfriend in a, in a sentence, like when I meet you, that's how you got it. And you better roll with it or, or walk away. But when people come with the whole, Oh, why didn't he tell me first? I'm offended. Or how dare you tell that person before me? I think that just really breaks down one who's worked so hard to to build the idea of coming out and the inner struggle that it may have taken them to get there. So I really hate the idea of just like, it's this ranking or hierarchy of I'm your best. So I have to come first or things of that sort. Maybe you were last because they, they saved the best for last or they trusted you the most, or maybe they wanted to get what they felt was worst out of the way before moving forward. So I would just say that for me personally, when you get it, you get it. And some people don't want, like I said, for me, you don't want to have this big, huge sit down, come out. And for other people, they do. So I totally respect that. But whatever you've gotten, people have invited you into that and um, you receive it as you can. So I would challenge people to probably stop saying that if they could, in my opinion, and simply just say, you know, thank you for telling me, you know, I support you or hopefully they would say I'd support you. But either way, just showing that particular piece and not getting into the who told what first. Tell me a little bit about the history that you have learned. Cause I knew nothing. You know, it's pretty awesome how I learned and I feel kind of ignorant saying this, but I had been out quote unquote and obviously, you know, was playing the fields and, and had even told my parents, I went to grad school with a young lady who was raised in by two fathers in San Francisco. So at that time, my age was very drastic from the world I was um, raised in. And I remember when we graduated, they came to visit and they were the most awesome people. And I ended up going to San Francisco with her. And we were just talking at dinner and they just started talking about Stonewall and history and the reason behind pride. Because at that time, I was very comfortable with myself, but I really felt no need to engage in Pride Month or you know, parades and things of that sort. I'm like, well, I can just go see anyone any weekend I want to. Like, what, what is the idea? In the late 60s, I believe it was 69, like gay clubs were kind of illegal. So they were run by the mafia undercover. So police would frequently try to come in, shut it down, um, liquor license and things of that sort. But uh, lots of times it wouldn't happen because the mafia was kind of tipping off from bad cops. You know, that's a whole different story. I won't go there. But um, it was actually illegal to be seen with someone on the streets or trying to do any type of holding hands and things of that sort with same sex. So Stonewall kind of, though, I don't think it was the beginning of the pride movement. It was like the probably 
big, big thing that caught all the media of the movement was basically for five days, they fought back, rioted, fought back, like we're done. We're going to get some form of rights here. You're not going to come in and pin us and arrest us and beat us down. So that kind of sparked the idea, which next year in New York had tons of people marching through the village and Christopher Street and things of that sort. So, and I think it's similar to Black History Month and Hispanic Heritage Month of some people having these arguments of why for, but as I began to listen to them in Stonewall and those riots and, and the, the abuse and the beating and the idea that one was not going to be able to even go to a bar or a club or refusing to give a liquor license because, you know, someone identifying as gay or owning the place is gay and all these things, it really began to strike a nerve with me of this idea of human rights. And in essence, I know we have this tagline of love is love, but is love enough or too much that basic human rights should be sacrificed for that? So I began to read up on Stonewall. There's a few, you know, documentaries. There's tons of documentaries out. I think there's one coming out now. And there's some movies based on that. But it, it's just this deep idea of one little thing can start a whole movement. And um, I think we've seen that in current political climate um, the past year and a couple of years with many things going on in society. So this idea of enough is enough, we're not going to continue to be abused and beaten up and we're going to fight back. And we will try to do that respectfully and then hopefully be able to keep that respectful. But I think what that did um, from at least my reading and experience of reading is that it got the larger community of New York behind them. And I think sometimes we're so dumbfounded of abuse or things that can happen around us because we all live in our bubble. I know I do. I was joking today of with a friend of like, there was a shooting like right across the street and I didn't even know if it wasn't for Instagram, right? Like I lived in my bubble. I don't watch the news that much. And Instagram, I was like, oh, wow, there was a shooting last night beside me. But I think the same goes for the community. And then when they saw all these people coming out and seeing for five days, I'm not shutting this thing down. We're going to continue to go until we get some form of respect. It sparked a movement in which other people who identified or, or were just allies coming out and marching and things of that sort. And then it went from city to city and all that. And sometimes when you have history, they, they throw that history away for what you see on TV. I frequently hear negativity like, who wants to come to Pride Parade to see somebody with a shirt off or see someone dancing on a car? And I frequently remind them like, every July 4th here in Atlanta, we have 5 million club promoters <laughs> trying to get everyone to the club for what's going on on July 4th, which has nothing to do with July 4th. I was just in Florida for Memorial Day and it was party this and, you know, this artist performing here, nothing to do with Memorial Day. So you, any type of historical thing we have, there is a root that is there. And then there's going to be other parts. The idea of pride is that I'm here. I'm not embarrassed of it. I can march in a parade. You can agree or disagree with my clothing what I have on. But the root of that comes from this idea of I want basic human rights and I don't want those taken from me. And I'm out and I'm proud and all the other negative thing that can people say about partying or, you know, selling of clothes and all these things. Those are just extra things that I think naturally and culturally come with any, any type of holiday or any type of major event we have around here and time period that we have to celebrate. So I would challenge people to stick to the, to the true roots of the history and what they've gone for and quit with the negative attention that people tend to bring. Or I see some even podcasters or even like, you know, news media bringing as an attack. It's just simply an attack because they disagree with that. But I would challenge them to dig into the history and look at the root of it. Of course, you represent the G, 
But what do you feel is the biggest misconception that people have about the LGBTQ plus community? So I, I, some people use the term alternative lifestyle, which I'm also not a fan of. But I think for me, I, everyone thinks because I'm a gay male that I can identify with every letter of their alphabet and every experience. I cannot. I do know people who you know, identify or transgender and things of that sort. But I, I cannot tell you their experience or their story or why they have feelings they have. But because those, that alphabet is lumped together, I think there's a large misconception of if I come to one person that represents one piece of an alphabet, that they can tell me how everyone in the alphabet feels. And for me, that, that, that's something I can't do and I'll always be open about. I can share experiences that I've heard from others and challenges that I've seen. But I cannot always relate to those different ideas that represent all communities because I'm not necessarily a part of that community. Um, just like I, I said earlier, I can tell you some of my Hispanic male or African American male friends and what they've experienced in current society, but I can't say I have been the one that experienced that. So I don't think that um, I can always speak for everyone else. And that's a large misconception that people think you will be able to do. Now, you've told me that you grew up in a Christian household. Are you still a Christian or did your experiences and interactions with other Christians turn you away from the faith? Because I know some Christians, especially small town, conservative, can be kind of judgmental. Yeah, so I was definitely raised Southern Baptist and I don't think anyone knows about that. It's pretty, pretty hellfire and brimstone-ish. Um, however, I, I do still identify as a Christian and I'm very proud of that. I think I've probably evolved more into being, a you know, Lecrae is a very popular hip hop Christian artist. He technically falls into his own, own mold, but he kind of brings this idea of not being so churchy, right? I want to be more like Jesus and less churchy. I think when you get into church, you get into a lot of rules, like in Southern Baptist, of we don't really believe in dancing. And then people call it interpretive movement. And you go across the street and they're okay with dancing and they hold dances at the church for middle schools. And, you know, it all represents Christianity. But as you get into the church and denomination and all this, you get kind of all these views and these ideas. And even in Christianity, we have Lutherans that are very open, you know, to that community and things of that sort. So it's a little tricky for me in answering that, but I think I have evolved not necessarily because of being gay, but I've evolved differently as a Christian into just looking into terms and reading. And I don't think anyone as a Christian has the right to tell you what your connection with Jesus and a higher power is and what you feel. I think that's internal between you. I feel very confident. We talked about it several times. I can remember praying in middle school and high school, if this isn't what you want for me, you know, show me a sign, do something differently. And as I became older and more mature, I felt more comfortable. And I do believe that personally, that is God and Jesus working through me to be more a person that they made me to be. Many may disagree with that. But once again, I would argue that no one has the connection in which I have and the power of prayer and what I've done. And they may throw a church rule at me or, you know, a particular scripture at me. I think we can go back and forth all day about scriptures and culture and things of that sort. There's several pastors out here with a hundred different views on some supporting it, some not supporting it, an old covenant and new covenant and all those different ideas that are out here. But I think that personally, and this may sound very, very controversial, but the Jesus I know and I read about, you know, he, he was with, with anyone. There was no one he would not hang around or not deny. 
he was with the unconventional and with those that, that you may shine or see these days. So I, I question like in 2021 in the society we reach, where would Jesus be? I think he would be everywhere. I don't think it's anywhere he would not go. So if that was an event where there was a rainbow flag flying, I don't think Jesus would have any problems walking in that front door and, you know, ministering the gospel and, and being that source of light for people. So I, I just continue to live by that doctrine and what works for me. Kind of answers my next question. Uh, gave you too much? <laughs> no, because my next question was some people may say, like, how can you be a Christian and live a life of sin? You know, I'm going to give you the million dollar answer, Shannon. It's like <laughs> sin every minute of the day, everywhere we go. We do, if we're being honest with ourselves. And no sin is greater than the other. And I think in modern culture, especially in political climate, every three or four years, we pick what's the hot topic that, we, that we're going to hone in on. And I think politics has a lot to do with it in elections. But what's the hot topic we're going to hone in on? But I'll go back to this idea of we're humans at the end of the day. And, and I feel very strong in my faith, but I also feel very strong in the idea that every human deserves equal rights, period, point blank. Speaking of Stonewall earlier in 1969, you as a straight female could walk out and hold any boyfriend's hand you had and not think twice about it. And if I would have done that in 1969 and been arrested for it because it wasn't deemed, you know, appropriate by law and things of that sort, then we don't have equal rights. And I think that's the biggest push in political climates and all that going forward of people trying to throw sin from one angle and people coming with human rights from the other. But it is a separation of church and state for me. But even if someone chooses to feel it's a sin, I think that that is their prerogative. But I don't think it should be able to trump the idea of basic human rights and health care and marriage and things of that sort. Because at the end of the day, we, we separate church and state here. And I feel that at the end of the day, human rights will trump someone's belief of one religious principle in a world where, and a country where we have a million different religions and a million different principles. So that's kind of my rebuttal to that. You always have that prerogative to think that way, but yeah, I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> Any last words, anything you want people to get from listening to this podcast? You know, I'd say that uh, obviously the topic here is, you know, gay and Christianity, but I would say it represents a very small part of who I am. Um, and I would, speak for others. I shouldn't speak for others, but I will say anyone identifying, you know, in this alphabet family we've talked about just wants to be normal. They just want to be treated and respected for who they are and what they are and not feel like they're a constant outcast or they're not going to fit in here or someone's going to have something to say. I don't feel I want to be treated extra or given extra privilege by any reason. I just want to be afforded the same privilege that everyone else is given and be respected on the same level without any negativity. And I think once we get there, you know, we'll be fine. But I think this negative idea that they're always wanting something or, you know, they're never satisfied. They just got gay marriage. Why are they complaining about something else now is, I don't know that you've lived the perspective that maybe they've gone through. And what you see as equality may not be equality for them. And then technically, people are, that have fought so long for certain type of rights are going to feel some type of way and continue to have to fight to keep those because just as things can come, they can also go away. And um, we've seen some positive history in our society. And then we've seen some very negative history in our society repeat itself when things kind of go on the back burner. So I would say 
Treat everyone with as much respect. Treat everyone like you would want someone to treat your child or your lover. And I think if we have those mutual respect, we will continue to grow a society and just be awesome people. I don't need anything extra. I just want to be the basic guy I described myself at the beginning of the podcast. At. Thank you, Drew, for being so real. Yes. Stay tuned for the mic drop moment. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And guess what? It's free. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's time for the mic drop. Reflecting on some things that Andrew said, I have a better understanding of what pride is all about. Proudly being the true you, despite what others may think or say, and celebrating historic milestones for the LGBTQ plus community. Andrew and I have a lot in common, which is probably how we became friends. We're both educators. We both value love, kindness, and friendship. So we both get along with pretty much anybody. We both worship the Lord. The main difference between us is that we love differently. No matter what people think about his views and how he loves, he's still a human being like everyone else and should be treated as such. What makes the topic of this conversation so contentious is that the Bible does say that sleeping with a same-sex partner is sin in several places. There are also many places in the Bible that call us to love one another as human beings created in God's image. And there's no exception for gay or lesbian people, or anyone else in that alphabet. When you leave it to people to interpret what that's supposed to look like in today's society, you just get arguments. But the whole point of this podcast is to listen, point blank, period, without judgment. So I'm going to do my best to break down some of the key points from Andrew's perspective on being gay and Christian. In so many words, Andrew said that the foundation of Christianity is our relationship with Christ, which he has. And being Christian does not give us the right to judge what someone else's relationship with Christ may be like. Only God knows who he has called and who will be in heaven with him when they leave this earth. There are so many people out there who say they're Christian, but that haven't even read the Bible and know very little about Christian principles. They go off of what other people say instead of reading it for themselves. But Andrew does have knowledge of those principles. There are also people who criticize the gay community for living in sin, but they might be having an affair or premarital sex. These things are also mentioned several times in the Bible as being sinful. And speak to Andrew's comment that we all sin and no sin is greater than another. 
Jesus did speak to and spend time with people who were considered outcasts by society. I think Drew was trying to say that maybe sometimes we make it more difficult than it has to be by getting caught up in quote-unquote being religious and human interpretation, which is always going to be flawed. And we need to remember that God called us to love, even our enemies. I think the key thing that Andrew was trying to say is this, that he is a human being like everyone else. He just loves differently. Being gay is just one part of who he is. He just wants to live his life like everyone else and be respected and treated like everyone else. You don't have to agree with anything said on this episode, but hopefully you can understand Andrew's perspective and respect it. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, when Jesus was speaking to his disciples, he said, A new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And that's how I try to live my life. Kindness goes a lot farther than hate. You talk fam. Let's continue this conversation on social media. I also want to know what stories you'd like to hear in the future. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And our handle is at you, as in the letter U, talk2020. See the show notes for links. I'm grateful for all of your support, and I hope these stories continue to touch your heart. Utah has two entries in Rhodes My Roadcast contest. One award given is the People's Choice Award, where listeners vote on their favorite. I've included links to our entries in the show notes and would appreciate your votes in that competition. Thanks, guys. Grace and blessings. Mm-hmm.